You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you a little bit about our current sponsors, uh, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. As you well know, if you've been following This is Oklahoma, they've been a huge part of this podcast. So this podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at Oklahoma HOF. Also, for the podcast, a new sponsor this year that's just come on board and super excited to announce RCB Bank. Since 1936, RCB Bank has offered progressive products and a friendly service. Come in today to find out more about their loan promotion on new used refinance cars, boats, campers, and ATVs. Visit RCB Bank to learn more. RCB Bank, that's my bank. With approved credit, restrictions apply. Now, let's get into today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode up in Stillwater today. We are in cowboy country at the home of Kicker Audio with uh, the main man, I guess the man in charge, Mr. Steve Irby. Uh, Steve, thanks for inviting me up here. Thanks for having me on the. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, super excited yeah. to dive into the story, uh, you know, of such a such a, a global brand. I mean, and and to be home in Stillwater, I'm sure is is a is an important thing to you, but. Um, I guess for people yeah. who probably don't know what what Kicker is, I mean, how how you know how would you tell them what Kicker is? Well, Kicker these days is a little bit different than when we first started, but um, the name Kicker is actually has to do with car audio, mm-hmm. and so our primary business is car audio these days, and uh, we do speakers, amplifiers, but we also do uh, marine audio. We do. Um, audio for motorcycles, for um, UTVs, side-by-sides. Oh, we do some home audio, a little bit of portable home audio. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we've diversified... But still, car audio is the biggest part of the right. business. Yeah. So, so today, to today, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so obviously, the home in Stillwater, being up here, um, born and raised in this part of town, this part of the country as well. I was born and raised in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Yeah. So, yeah. So this is this is home for me. Okay. And so, so grew up here, school here, and then so OSU was was in the blood then, obviously. Well, um, not exactly. Um, I actually went to Phillips University in Enid, which is, you know, about 60 miles away. Was a uh, a smaller private school, and had a great experience there. And I came back to OSU for uh, graduate school. Okay. And uh, almost finished. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the kicker story then was was it something that kind of you just tinkered with and had a business, or just had like I wanted to upgrade your speakers in your car growing up? Or like, yeah. how, how do you get to you know? starting well it really started um, as you can see in my office which you can't see on the mm-hmm. video here but I've got some Beatles posters on the walls yeah and um, uh, that was a big influence on my life back in when I was in high school uh, in 1964 the Beatles came and toured the US mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, so we all wanted to start garage bands I mean it was we really wanted to start a garage band <laughs> and wanted to be, you know, famous rock and roll players. So uh, that was uh, really how I got into 
building speakers is that I played in a band, we started the band, and the organ that I had that I was playing was just a little home organ, and it was not loud enough. The drummer played too loud. And so I couldn't hear myself, and I remember I went to my dad and said, you know, I've, uh, I can't hear myself, I need a speaker, I need an amplifier. Yeah. And uh, he said, well, what is it? And I said, it's a Fender Bandmaster. I'd been to the music store, I'd scoped it out, and I knew what I wanted. And uh, he said, well, how much is it? And I said, it's $300. I was, I guess I was asking probably, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> and he was reading the evening paper and uh, sitting in the chair, and I remember the paper just kind of dropped in his lap, and he looked at me and said, 300 bucks? And I'm going, yeah, and he goes, well, he didn't say no, fortunately, but he said, what is it? And I said, well, it's two 12-inch speakers in a speaker box mm -hmm. with an amplifier on top. And he asked if, if that was something that we could build. And I said, well, um, I don't know. Maybe we could build the speakers. I'm yeah. not sure. But uh, we grew up in a family that uh, my dad uh, was an architect, but he taught construction technology at OSU. And so... Uh, he was into building things. We built everything from the house we lived in to camping trailers, go-karts, motorbikes. If we wanted something, basically, we built it. Yeah. And so that was how that worked. And and uh, so we built a speaker and uh, borrowed the woofer from uh, the drummer's dad. It was good. He was going to put it in his stereo, but I think I got my hands on it first. And it was a big 15-inch Alltech Lansing speaker. And so... Uh, my dad and I got plans, and we built a speaker box for that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was originally where the the kind of the passion for sound and building speakers started was way back in 1965. Yeah, in high school. Wow. So so you played organ and and then piano yeah. as well, I guess. And, and piano, right? Yeah. And uh, and I used that speaker and then played in bands through high school and college and uh, and after. Mm -hmm. And so. Uh, started building speakers as a hobby for the band primarily and so that was yeah. PA speakers guitar speakers bass guitar speakers monitor speakers right anything that was I loved it but it was a hobby and I didn't ever think it would be sure. a business yeah, yeah so yeah. I stayed in school <laughs> yeah so what got you into music then growing up at a young age well, I started taking piano lessons in second grade. My mom was a musician and uh, played uh, piano and organ. And so she encouraged me to start taking piano lessons, which I did for probably about nine years. Uh, I didn't like practicing, but she, uh, I, th I say, forced me to uh, practice, <laughs> um, sort of. Uh, but when I got into seventh grade, she said, well, if you want to quit now, you can. I think by then she knew that I kind of liked it. Yeah. And so I said, well, maybe I'll try it a little longer. And then when uh, the idea for a band came up, they said, well, Irby, you play the keyboards, right? And I go, well, I take piano lessons. <laughs> I don't know how to play rock and roll. <laughs> but uh, neither none of us did. Yeah. So we, we kind of figured that out from listening to records. But, uh, yeah, I liked music. and uh, But mostly... You know, taking piano lessons, you're playing classical and things like that. So um, we had to, I had to learn, start all over and uh, learn how to play chords and yeah. rock and roll. And mainly we just 
would sit around listen to records and try to figure out the chords and and uh, kind of started from scratch but yeah it was a, it was a lot of fun yeah I'm sure fun. just to go back to those times you know being yeah. like being a, you know a garage and just hanging out and, and with your mates yeah. and yeah not, yeah, not was, much care in the world apart from the music no right? it was it was pretty exciting times and and it was the music scene was really happening mm-hmm. you know it was just starting to happen in the mid 60s and then of course you got into sort of more of the uh, hippie movement and then real rock and roll and stuff in the later 60s and yeah. early 70s but that was the period that I got started in and so um, music was really evolving fast and uh, uh, we were right in the middle of it and yeah. uh, it was it was a lot of fun uh, but that was I think where the real passion developed for mm-hmm. not only just music but for the audio equipment that we used as yeah. well w- were you guys kind of <clears throat> I guess you know a little different trying you know listening to the Beatles really kind of enjoying that movement what was country music like at that time were you guys different because you liked the Beatles over the country music scene yes um, back then as far as our group was concerned country music was not cool yeah you know we were rock and rollers and country was kind of just sort of cowboy stuff you know that was that was not we were city guys, I guess you'd say. I don't know. There was yeah. more. That sort of flipped flipped over totally in the concept, I think, nowadays. But back then, it was music you might play if you lived on a farm or rode a horse or, you know. Um, yeah. It was a little more twangy and earthy. And uh, and we liked rock and roll. You like banging chords and like, we yeah. Yes. But that said... Um, we started playing some country music and uh, we did a few songs to appease people and then yeah, yeah we, we kind of liked it you know but we we never became a country band but we we would throw in a few things here and there and yeah. uh, then later in high school towards the end of high school we got a new guitar player that um, had more of a country background and so we had more of that influence and, yeah. and then we did the 50s music and he went through phases, Elvis phase. We played a lot of Elvis stuff. Bob Dylan phase. We played a lot of Bob Dylan stuff. Um, we did uh, we did Hank Williams. We did we did some country stuff, and uh, so uh, yeah, we ended up being fairly eclectic. I think yeah. over time. Yeah, just a love for performing and, just, and hanging uh, out. Yeah, liked it all, but still, rock and roll was the main thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so back, I guess, to that to that point where you know, Dad says, "Hey, we you know we can build this. Let's make it." And then you start tinkering and, and building other speakers for friends right. in the band, and I'm sure other friends as well. Yeah, uh, you're just kind of figuring it out, thinking, "Hang on, this this can be done." Yeah. Uh, you know, you do your master. I guess you, you go off to school and eat yeah. and, and still doing the, the tinkering and still making speakers and stuff? I was, but not thinking about it as a business. Okay. And I was in sociology. And, of course, we were sort of hippie wannabes, I guess, back in the day. And, and you know, the, the Vietnam draft was happening. Mm-hmm. I had a low number. Fortunately, I didn't have to go. But, uh, you know, we were part of that kind of counterculture, I think, that said... Um, we can do better than this. We can make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And that was generally why I went into sociology thinking, um, you know, through science, we can solve some of these societal problems and these 
wars and things like that that are guys are going off and dying in Vietnam and we don't really understand why Mm -hmm. and so that was kind of my theoretical educational side that I'm going to do this in school but when I got towards the end of the grad school I realized but this is not really what I want to do sort of an awakening you know scary awakening and uh so yeah, that's when. I, so I I dropped out. Yeah. Of grad school. So you would you would do pursuing a master's in sociology as well then. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So so when you dropped out, uh, I mean, how's that conversation with family? What what does mom and dad think at that point? <laughs> well, obviously, my dad was uh, taught at the university for thirty years. Yeah. And I was always taught, um, you know, these days, and I mean, talking about these days, that was in the really the. 50s and 60s, my parents yeah. said, you need more than a bachelor's degree. Yeah. You know, you need a master's degree. And so that was fairly important. But uh, I, it, it went okay, uh, actually. I mean, I think my parents understood that I had to find myself. You know, yeah. you can only do what other people think you should do for so long. And then you've got to make some decisions. And I reached that point towards the end of my master's degree that I was facing life and this is I'm I'm sort of playing this game that this is interesting and I think it's good but it's not what I want to do the rest of my life right so I think that was my uh, so to speak come to Jesus moment uh, and which actually happened not exactly like that but I went to the uh at the department, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm dropping out, um, and I think the answers are in religion, not in science. And uh, I didn't really know what I was saying, but I was on this uh, plane that was like, this is not happening. All they've got here is theories, and I want to I wanna get down to the rock bottom of what everything's about. And, and when I start questioning theories and asking why too many times people were getting upset with me. (laughs) And I was going, you know, this is, uh, I think this is a great discipline, but I'm needing something more for my life. This is not maybe about that. Uh And so uh, he said, well, there's a guy from our church I'd like you to talk to. And I said, well, why not? I mean, I had hair about halfway down my back. and, and I, But I was seriously looking for truth I was looking for answers mm-hmm. and I was tired of playing games yeah, yeah. that I'd been doing all these years and just doing the things you're supposed to do and so um, this guy I did meet with him and he says uh, well you need to accept Jesus as your personal savior and right off the bat and I nobody ever said that to me and I just go well he was in the Bible right and he goes yeah and I was like okay uh, but I can't accept anybody. I, I, yeah. I'm not going to let people in my house. I don't even know them. You know, I said, well, you need to get a Bible and read it and uh, and find out. And I said, okay, I'll do it. I mean, at that point, I was like, I'm ready. You know, yeah. show me the uh, show me the truth and where my life is going and what to do because I don't want to play any more games. I'm done. Yeah. You know, and so uh, that was kind of the start of my spiritual journey, but also. During that time, um, 
I found another book in the uh, library, which was Loudspeakers and Enclosures, and it was a, and I've got that, I'll show you the book. Yeah. So, uh, so this, was, this was fairly heavily used. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but. Uh, That's so brilliant. That was, I, so I decided, you know, I want to, look into this and uh, I got a construction job I was just building metal buildings and uh, so uh, the uh, I started reading that book and I was reading the Bible I was reading both like every day and uh, I had this idea because really kind of my prayer was not exactly to find God it was not quite that spiritual it was like I need to find me a job. Like, what am I going to do with my life? And in reading this book, it was written so well and explained things so well about speakers, a lot of things I'd wanted to know. And I went to my roommate, who was also a grad school dropout, <laughs> and he was surveying land. He was being a surveying out in the wilds of Arkansas and off and on. But he's, I said, I think I want to start a speaker company. You want to go in with, with, with me? And... Uh, he said, yeah, why not? So that was the business plan. Yeah. And that was it. And uh, I uh, had $12,000 that I'd inherited from both of my grandparents and had been sitting there for quite some time. And my parents wouldn't let me spend it on a, a car or musical equipment and stuff. And, you know, no, that's not what that's for. And so... I remember thinking, I think this is, would be a good thing to do. And I talked to my dad, and he said, yeah, I think it's a good idea. And so I uh, bought some uh, saws and uh, woodworking tools and different things, and we set up in our garage, and we got some plans from Alltech Lansing, which made a, had plans for a big PA speaker that a lot of guys used in bands. Mm -hmm. And we built the speaker enclosure just according to their plans and would sell them to bands. Yeah. And that's how we got started. And mostly just sold them to our friends. Yeah. And so that was the start of, uh, and it was Stillwater Designs is the name we came up with. Just uh, being in Stillwater and also figuring if the speaker thing doesn't work out, the name's kind of flexible. Right, very <laughs> flexible, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but that was... Uh, that was about six months we were in the garage and then I got married. We kicked Keith out, my roommate, my wife did. Then she kicked both <laughs> of us out of the garage because it was full of sawdust was permeating the house. It was everywhere. Yeah. And uh, so we bought, rented a little house on South Main Street and then felt like we were really in business. But that was 1973. Yeah. And, uh, but that's why I say we haven't always been a kicker. Gotcha. I was building PA systems, my vision was, okay, I've got it. You know, I think, you know, God gave me this plan. I mean, not a plan, but direction. Mm -hmm. And I was like, going for it, 100%. And I'm going to build big rock and roll PA systems. And uh, and that's what we worked on, really, for about seven years. Yeah. How old were you when you started? I was uh, 24. Yeah. yeah. So, so. I mean, people listening, you know, the people starting businesses and, and, you know, it's, it's never, you know, some people are like, they're 16, they're 17, they're 18, like, I want to start a business. Well, yeah. you can, you still got life experience ahead of you, right? You don't right. have to rush into it. Um, 
and you know you guys went through you know you so many avenues you could have gone so many different ways yeah and finally came to you know to thinking hang on i'm gonna build pa systems um so did you go to a lot of rock concerts at that time what what was kind of like in the in mid 70s what was i guess the band that you thought oh man if we can make a pa system for them like that's that is the north star that's the goal well um probably just about any of them <laughs> um yeah, we were. We didn't go. I would say to a lot of concerts. Basically, our band was playing a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. So most of the time we were we were playing. Yeah. But I, you know, did go to concerts and and uh, you know I remember we went to a Grateful Dead concert and uh, uh, oh gosh, just different different ones. My my favorite group was always the Beatles, and I never saw them mm. uh, perform. Uh, now, in latter years, I saw McCartney perform. Yeah, um, and uh, and that was a real treat for me. And we got some really good tickets and went and saw him perform. And uh, uh, just an interesting little story was that Paul McCartney taught me how to play bass, but he doesn't know it. <laughs> and so uh, when we were playing in the band, our uh, I was playing keyboards, and then I I had an electric piano. And uh, our bass player moved, and so we had no bass player. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that they made little keyboard basses that were, uh, uh, the Fender company made them, and, and it was small enough I could set it on top of my electric piano. Yeah. And so I bought one, and I built a bass amp, the speakers and amplifier, bought the amp, and, uh, and played keyboard bass. Yeah. But I didn't know how to play bass. I'd never played bass. And so um, I listened to Beatles records and I listened to Paul McCartney play bass. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, up there, yeah. head by the speaker, you know, just listening. And and so that's how I learned to play bass. Gotcha. And so uh, uh, anyway, yeah. I never have had a chance to tell him that, that he was a good teacher. Yeah. Do you have any of his like memorabilia or any of his guitars or anything like that? Uh, no, I've got this shirt that was given to me that was signed by Paul McCartney. Yeah. But ha- haven't gone down the rabbit hole of buying any of his, his guitars yet? No, no, no. I'm not really into that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, I just like the music, you know, yeah, yeah. and I thought they made really good music as a band. Yeah. And, uh, and he was my favorite one out of the band. Did you did you hear the story? I think um, I recently did a podcast with um, a guy from Tulsa called Greg Renoff who wrote a book about Van Halen called okay. Van Halen Rising. Yeah, um, he wrote, and it's basically about Van Halen backyard cover band before they made it. So yeah, okay. the book's fantastic. Yeah, uh, audio book's great too. Um, and he he was telling the story because obviously Eddie was known for yeah. building his amps and stuff right. like that. And, and I thought that was really fascinating that yeah. that he did that kind of stuff and and changed the fuses and, and made them louder and because. Right. You know, he wanted to be, everyone was trying, why is he so loud? And, and he kind of wouldn't tell anybody, right, that he yeah. had done his thing. But that was, a, that was a really fun fun interview that I did with Greg and a, and a, and a great book, too. It's, he, he lives in Tulsa, that the Greg does. He's a um, historian and, and rock and roll lover. Yeah. Um, um, really interesting. Eddie Van Halen, well, is a, and, and the guy that I was telling you about that started playing guitar with us in high school, mm-hmm. His name was Steve Ripley, and uh, so uh, we were all a little bit into, uh, more than a little bit, we were into the equipment side of it as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I was deeply into it, 
and Steve got into building guitars. And first off, he would just modify his guitars, and he made a, a Fender, I think it was a Telecaster, and he, and but he, uh, he refinished it with a Paisley, like finish, you know, back in the day, which was kind of cool. We thought, and he would do all this stuff with guitars, and then he got into doing work on them. And uh, later, you know, after that band broke up, he moved to California and. Uh, Got a job working for Leon Russell. I'm not sure if you're familiar with who he is, but a Tulsa musician that okay. that. Oh yeah, uh, it has the, the museum is going to be coming back. Yes, right? yeah, 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 the uh-huh. uh, OK Pop Museum, and yeah, yeah. then he had a uh, studio called the Church Studio, and back in Tulsa later. Mm-hmm. But he was in L.A. as a studio musician, and then had his own career, and later toured with uh, Elton John and. Uh, they were good friends, and, and uh, but Steve worked for him okay. in the studio, and uh, but he was making guitars, and he invented a guitar that had an amplifier for each string. So the pickup on the guitar was not just one single one that picked up all strings equally, yeah. but it was it had a separate output for each string. Yeah. And so you had six amps across the stage, <laughs> so you go... Brrr, and you know the sound goes Lights across up. the yeah. stage. Well, so he built this for Eddie Van Halen. Okay. And so uh, that guitar just sold for fifty thousand bucks. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's got the, the stripes on it, and uh-huh. and so uh, and then we did a little bit of promotion with him too. We built a pickup truck with a kicker system in it mm. that had the stripes on it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm pretty familiar with with him and that's that. That's really but, cool. But uh, but my friend. Uh, Steve Ripley that played uh, he uh, was into building guitars and uh, and that was that was interesting he's unfortunately has passed mm-hmm. now but we played together for about eight years and and a uh, lot of a lot of good memories there you know? yeah no but, doubt yeah uh, so and then he had a group too okay. Tractors that had a million selling album and uh, so he went on and lived out his life basically in the music industry and I went towards the equipment you side. You the equipment side. Yeah. That's, that's interesting to have you both like in the same kind of group hanging out uh-huh. and then to see you both be super you know, successful going that way. Yeah. That's super when, interesting. Uh, so so obviously, you know, it's still water designs, you're building systems. Yeah. Um, you go from the garage to, to a new house and then you, I guess you go to a new facility and, and just business slowly starts to grow. Yeah. it. Um, but we were in the little house on South Main Street. It was just an old kind of a junk house mm-hmm. we kind of remodeled the outside and basically wood shop in the back front two rooms were just a little tiny showroom yeah and uh, but we built all of our speakers there and uh and did that uh, for about seven years and uh actually after three years i'd lost all my money my partner my roommate wanted out as a partner but he continued on as an employee and for another five years. Then he went back to school, got an accounting degree, and yeah. had a successful accounting firm and had a career doing that. And he did all of our uh, accounting and stuff. Okay. But So we're still really good friends. But uh, the, the first seven years, basically after seven years, I was making enough money just to support my family. My wife had been teaching school, kind of lived off her mm-hmm. salary, so she was the one that made this happen. Yeah. And... Uh, but in 1980, um, several different things happened. My daughter was born. My wife stopped working. I was making enough money to support the family. And a buddy of mine 
that had been an OSU student, and I used to build speakers for him. Uh, he was kind of an experimenter, too, and so he'd have the idea, and then I'd build it for him. And uh, He had started a music store in Canton, Oklahoma, and he called me up and said, um, uh, these guys are working in the oil field. They're driving pickup trucks. They've got a lot of money, and they want some bass and some good sound in a pickup truck. And they were just single cab trucks in, in those days, pretty much not extended and so there wasn't any place to put a subwoofer except there's a little space behind the seat yeah and so he sent me the dimensions of the space behind the seat in a single cab pickup truck and i designed a speaker that fit there but it was also a subwoofer plus full range the sound came out from behind the the back seat as well yeah the bass went right through the seat yeah and so um so so I built it for him, kind of like we'd been doing. Sent it over there to him. He goes, cool. Calls him back a few days later and says, well, these guys love this speaker. We're going to need a lot more. And he says, you know what they call it? And I go, no. What He said, they call it the ass kicker. <laughs> <laughs> because it kicks your butt right through the seat. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he was right. And I'm going, really? Okay. And so I started building. We built as many as we could just my partner and I, and uh, eventually I just said, uh, to me it was a sideline, because I was at this other vision of building big rock and roll systems, and uh, I said, why don't you just build these, you know, you can have the design, I mean, it's just, you know, it was kind of easy for me to design, yeah. you can just do it, and he goes, no, I don't want to set up a wood shop, I don't want to do this, I want you to keep building them, why don't you try to sell them to some other music stores, and uh <clears throat> His idea was that I would get interested and build more so he could buy them. Yeah. Because I sold them to him for $125. He sold them to the customer for 250 and he was just selling oh, them so like happy. that. Yeah. He was just making money like that. Yeah. And so I was playing in a band, and the bass player in our band wanted to start a wood shop. And I said, Why don't you? He was going to build picture frames. And I said, well, Why don't you build these boxes for me? And we'll gear up production. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that was uh, 1980. We had a product, turned out that nobody had, and uh, it sounded like much better than anything in car audio at that time. I mean, and literally it kicked you right through the seat. I mean, it was, it was designed like a PA system like I'd been doing, yeah. uh, except in a small cab. And it was like, wow, pretty amazing. So that was really how Kicker got started. And, we eventually dropped the the ass part. Just yeah. one with a kicker, and uh, and later trademarked the name kicker. Okay. And uh, so, that was kind of the beginning of the car audio, and that yeah. eventually really overtook the the other side of the business. Got you. So that takes off. You're I mean, at that time. I'm sure. You're like you know, you're, you're telling your wife. You're like, hey, I think we've got something here. Yeah. Like this is starting to. Because up until those seven years, were you just doing like local stuff and regional stuff? Yeah. I guess and like the stores. Because obviously, there's no online sales at that point, right? It's no. just like you know, you're probably driving out and saying, hey, would you try? We sent out letters, mouth letters to music yeah. stores. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so and and I mean another lesson people listening to like things just don't happen overnight you've been in business for seven years yeah you know thankfully your wife's working you make right. ends meet and you know it, it's i think yeah. a lot of people today are you know it, it, it's it, they want it to happen now don't they they want to have right. thousands of sales now and, and stuff like that so it's a great lesson for people listening that you know it, it takes time right and and it, it's yeah. you earn that 
um, that longevity as well. So so things right. are kicking off. You you know your 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 bandmate is making stuff to help with production. When then do you go to I guess hiring more employees to have that to scale right? Because right. at the point you you probably got sales coming in, you're yeah. backed up, and yeah. like what's the next phase? Well, um, it turns out that we were at the beginning of of a really boom, huge boom mm-hmm. in car audio, and for a couple of different reasons. But one was because uh, uh, up until then, they had only invented an amplifier for car audio. The maximum you could get out of a 12-volt system was 18 watts, mm-hmm. okay, which is not a whole lot. And uh, But then... Um, a company called, uh, oh, um, it's not Mobile Audio, it was uh, Audio Mobile, Mobile um, invented an amplifier that had a switching power supply, mm-hmm. which kind of stepped up um, what you could get out of a 12-volt system, somewhat unlimited. Yeah. Okay, so the amplifier started getting bigger, and then with systems like we had, bigger speaker systems, you could get this amazing sound in a car. Mm-hmm. And the technology, even CD players hadn't been invented yet. In 83, 84, they came along. So this was all just happening. We were in on the ground floor. Mm-hmm. And you're right, it began to grow so fast that we had to begin to hire more people, mostly part-time college students at first. Yeah. And uh, just growing the business. And then my buddy that was building the cabinets, he had to hire more people. And so... Um, it was, a, it was a crazy time, and uh, through the 80s, I went back later and looked, and our sales, we averaged 70% growth a year for 10 years in a row wow. during the 80s, and that was an average. Yeah. <laughs> and so some years, I mean, we grew 100 or 200%. Of course, when you're small, well, that's yeah, not a lot, right. but, but, the but over the years, period of 10 huge. years, yeah. it still averaged 70%. Yeah. So by the end of the 80s, and we had a lot more products than just that one. I thought it would only just be that one, but immediately there were requests for, well, can you do this, this, yeah. and this? So by the end of the 80s, we were distributed in all uh, 50 states. We were selling into Canada and Mexico, too, mm-hmm. in, in 10 years. And we were we started an international department in 1990 yeah. and hired a director for that. and so. But it was a crazy, mm-hmm. really crazy 10 years. And yeah, every year, we didn't just forecast if it would be up or down. It was a matter of how much up. Right. <laughs> just riding the wave. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, yeah, I learned a lot. But frankly, the first seven years in business, um, I kind of say that's where I earned my doctorate degree. Yeah. Because all I did was study about speakers and experiment because I had a lot of time to do it and not much sales. Yeah. And so I learned a lot about speakers. And I also learned how to run a company from square one mm-hmm. to square five or six. And then it went on to square 100 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so that time was a learning time and was very necessary for what was going to happen from the 80s on yeah, to hold it together because it was a wild... It was on a rocket ...wild ride, yeah. Yeah. It was, but... Uh, 
And I'm not saying we held together great, but we did make it. Right, we're <laughs> we still survived. here today, right? Yeah, we yeah. survived. <laughs> yeah, that's, so. oh, I bet, I mean, there's got to be so many kind of like wild and great, you know, ups and down moments of yeah. growth, right? Because it's so rapid. Yeah, it was It was very, uh, very interesting. And, uh, and people would always would say, you know, you don't know anything when you start in business, which is why you don't want to make a whole lot of money real quick because you don't know how to handle it. You you just don't know anything. You don't know what you don't know. And uh, as we were starting to grow in the 80s, it was growing so fast, and people would say, you know, this is going to level off sometime and plateau. And, and I'm thinking, nah, you know. <laughs> like I'm going to the and moon. <laughs> they were right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't know, you know. So you're just kind of going with it right. as best you can. And uh, But... Um, you you learn as you go you know yeah. that's I mean that's kind of experience is a great teacher yeah make a lot of mistakes but keep going yeah I mean the value is in the mistake right and learning from it yeah and if you don't well you suffer for it you know yeah. you suffer either way yeah <laughs> but if you learn for it that's how you how you how you become more uh, wise and and stable and yeah. you know because you've been through stuff and you got your feet under you a little bit better I guess every year you probably had a moment that you said to your wife, you're like, we've made it. And then next year was topped yeah. and topped for 10 years in a row. You know, uh, I didn't think that much about it. I just thought we just need to keep up. And I was always up for, it was exciting. It was fun. And uh, the interesting thing was I never got in the business to try to kind of make it or to make money. Mm-hmm. I was in the biz I got in that business because I knew I had to find a direction in life that was right for me yeah. and that I would enjoy doing because I wasn't successful or happy mm-hmm. doing other stuff. And so I was just like happy. I found something I can really get into yeah. and where it goes I have no idea. I don't really care because I'm doing what I like to do. Right. And so that was certainly icing on the cake. But I never, um, I never, my only goal was just always improve, mm-hmm. you know, but I never had a goal like, I'm going to get here and then I've arrived. Gotcha. Yeah. And, or I'm going to sell out or, you know, then I started hearing from students and started working with students about your exit strategy and go, yeah, exit, what do you mean? Like, what else I am mean, I going like, to do for the rest of my like, life? There's nothing, yeah. I don't have anything else to, Yeah. you know, sometimes you'd think about when mainly financial difficulties, you think, uh, I'm just going to get out of this at this point in time, you know. Yeah. And uh, but uh, then it would kind of come back to me like, okay, so what are you going to do? Mm, don't know. How'd you get into this? Well, I felt like I felt like the Lord directed me into this in a through a lot of circumstances, just yeah. that, and it was right for me. And I was like, this is it. And so, you going to just quit? Well, no. Yeah. So what do you do? Well, you just keep going. Keep evolving and, new uh, products. Um, yeah. yeah, so, um, but there's a lot of uh, tendencies, especially with financial difficulties, to think about getting out mm-hmm. and uh, cashing out or whatever. But then the question was always, what are you going to do? And, uh, and the bigger question was usually, okay, you can quit now, but you don't know what's around the next corner. And I'd have to go... Yeah, you're right. I'm kind of curious. I'd like to know how it's going to end up. Yeah. You know, and and if you quit, you'll never find out mm-hmm. what it could what it could have been. So I think, in a certain way, I felt like 
maybe somehow the Lord kind of challenged me on that, just internally, like, if you quit, you'll never... And I quit things earlier in life, yeah. and I hated the feeling. And I thought, I don't like that feeling. I don't want to do that. And so, yeah, and I'd like to know what it could turn out to be, and I'm still finding out. Yeah. So that's kind of the exciting part of it. Yeah, yeah. So, so you went through that, kind of like the huge growth in the 80s. You come to the 90s, CDs, you know, you got CDs and other stuff, and, and music's obviously changing, car audio's changing, yeah. it's got different sizes of cars and everything like that. Yeah. But, you know, and you're going internationally as well, you know, all this stuff's going on. What were the 90s like with, I guess, technology coming in, yeah. and the internet and stuff like that? Well, it was real different. Um, and it was not, and that's where we started to plateau out and realize that, um, you know, it takes more than just than just being in the right place at the right time right. to have continuing success. Mm -hmm. And so we had to develop a marketing department and sales sales department and uh, develop new technologies and kind of move on, mm -hmm. stay updated, hire younger people that are uh, more in tune with what's happening today. Um, you know, in the 80s, we were struggling with, should we get a computer? Yeah. Nah, you know. And uh, the first computer I got, we never actually got it working. Ended up just throwing it away. And so, you know, there was that period um, of, should we get a fax machine? Well, they're 3000 bucks for a fax machine yeah. when they first came out. But people want to fax in their orders so they're correct. Because when you do it over the phone, well, I thought you yeah. said S instead of X, and you know you ship them the wrong thing. Different and, accents from fifty yeah, states and around the world. Right. Yeah. So um, all that stuff, um, you know, that we had to adapt and, and go through. But uh, fortunately, one thing I realized is that you've got to hire people that know more than you do. You can't think you know everything, mm -hmm. and you and if you're just a one man show, you'll be the you'll be the uh, the glass ceiling on on your whole business it'll yeah. never get bigger than just you and so uh, I think over time I became came to really appreciate people that were especially talented in different areas and really kind of yeah. covet those people and want to hire those people that you could see wow he understands computers yeah. he knows how to write programs he can make this to, for our business to handle all these problems that we have mm -hmm. internally and things like that so I'm not saying that I totally embraced um, all the technologies but I embraced the people that, that yeah. could operate those technologies and, and uh, still today um, there's a limit to my engineering skills yeah. but I have engineers that know how to run programs and analyze speakers uh, with different programs and systems that I can't do but I understand basically how things work but I pass that off to someone else. So I think a lot of the growth is, is uh, especially for an entrepreneur, is realizing you're going to have to pass things off to other people. Mm -hmm. Just save what you're best at, what your strengths are, yeah. and the things that you're weak in, don't try to think you can do everything. Right. Give those to people that are strong in those areas, and then you can have a team that's like equally strong, and you can really advance that way. Yeah. Do you, do you, I think some entrepreneurs like struggle with that, right? Because they, they've had this business, they, yeah. they, you know, it's their baby, isn't it? And right. they struggle to let, right. like kind of give away a little bit of, you know, um, I guess loosen their grip on it and tr yeah. trust is the biggest thing, right. isn't it? But I guess when you got to that point, you'd had so much growth that you kind of 
had uh, I guess it wasn't it wasn't too much of a risk for you to give that growth I guess the, give well, the opportunity to someone to help on a personal level it's always hard of course because uh, generally you think you can do everything better than someone else when you start yeah because you're doing everything and so somebody else comes along and you're going I've been doing this I know how to do it yeah and so you've got to go you got to realize that you don't necessarily you may know how to do it best for your exact particular circumstance mm -hmm. but somebody else can learn that and maybe then take off and go better better than you so yeah. it's sort of a there's a little bit of a faith walk in there is that you got to kind of let go and let them do it but you want to kind of yeah bring them along but you know it's uh even today same pro so you never totally get over that mm -hmm. but you've got to make yourself you've got to make yourself do that and of course there's things that i just despise doing and i'm happy to give those away. <laughs> <Of> <laughs> like course. filling out forms and stuff like that <laughs> and doing taxes and you know but um, other things that are a little more yeah i can do that but yeah but you know, but I really don't have the time. Yeah. So, so for people listening, take us from I guess when you know when you plateau to I guess now, right? Because you hire a marketing team, you're international now. You know, you you probably start going to more world shows around the world, having bigger stands, and yeah. you know, kind of SEMA obviously is a huge show in Vegas for for cars and and just right. systems. But um, you know, how was that process? And and I guess as an entrepreneur, like you know, we traveling quite a lot. Like take us take us through that. Um. Yeah, but not incessantly. I mean, not nearly as much as other people in the company. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I've never, you know, I think part of that lesson was letting other people do their jobs mm -hmm. and realizing what you do best. And uh, so I don't have to be at every single show. I don't have to talk to every single person. I don't have to meet with every single big account. Yeah. You know, and somebody else can do that. And so... Uh, Tell the truth, I mean, I've never really worked myself to death at this thing. Yeah. You know, the things that I do that I spend a lot of time on are things that I really like to do. And I've tried to let other people do the other stuff. And sometimes it doesn't turn out the way you thought. Mm -hmm. But you kind of have to be patient with that. And the other thing is that the second general manager that I hired um, had a had experience he was a hospital administrator and had managed a lot of people had experience administrating mm -hmm. and back in the 90s when he came on we really needed that structure that we didn't have and he structured the whole company with departments and and our self-insured health insurance and in our uh, employee handbook and yeah. a lot of different things that we didn't have any of that but one of the things that he told me is that um, he said Steve you got to let people make mistakes I'm going, I'm thinking, yeah, right. And I'm thinking, I don't like that. Yeah, it's going to cost money. <laughs> it's yeah. going to cost, yeah, I'm making dollar signs, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you start small and every dollar counts. So, but uh, but the, the thing of it was is that what he's really saying is that, and if you want to grow, you've got to mm -hmm. delegate. You've got to be giving up jobs all the time to other people, and they're going to make mistakes. And you can't micromanage everything, and you don't want to micromanage everything. And so they're going to make mistakes, and you've got to let them make mistakes. But if they learn from their mistakes, actually they progress, mm -hmm. you know, and so they become 
better employees, better managers, and the whole company grows for that. So I think that was a big lesson for me that I've tried to implement is that somebody makes a mistake, um, that's okay. But, yeah. you know, what do we learn from that and, uh, and move on and not uh, just fire somebody because they made a mistake because yeah. everybody does. Even, and we've had some expensive mistakes made, and I've made some expensive ones. So, but um, I think part of that letting go and, and things is, is being willing to let people make mistakes mm -hmm. and hopefully learn from them and just keep moving. Yeah. And as long as they don't sink you, you know, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Was there any big, like, whoops moments that really did, that really kind of, like, questioned your, uh, your, your time like that? Well, we've... We've had multi-hundred-thousand-dollar mistakes before. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But in proportion to the size of the company, when they happened, mm -hmm. it didn't kill us. Yeah. You know, I mean, at first that would it would be oh, instant, instantly out of business. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we've, we, we had a uh, pretty big mistake that was not exactly financial, but... Uh, we accidentally released uh, uh, pay records of everybody in the company to everybody in the company. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm sure that was a fun conversation. <laughs> that yeah. was a disaster. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, but it was an honest mistake. It happens, yeah. And part of it was because of our own fault mm -hmm. in programming that uh, it was too easy to hit that key. Yeah. And uh, and we survived that disaster, mm -hmm. and and um, and it was it was tough, but we all learned from it. and We improved our systems, and uh, and so everybody knew yeah. what everybody else made. Yeah. So <laughs> and back to you know you mentioned big accounts. I guess when the business evolved, you went then I guess to go after those big accounts, right? Like I guess it probably went from the stores to. Yeah. I mean. Are the accounts kind of like are they car manufacturers that kind of account as well? Yeah. Okay. So you kind of who who was it a lot of car manufacturers or do you just kind of pick 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 and choose as many as you could get? Well, we there's a couple of conscious decisions we made. First, we only sold to independent retailers, mm -hmm. and they were a very protective bunch. Still are to a certain degree, but they didn't like the big box stores, yeah. such as back in the day, Circuit City, mm -hmm. uh, of course Walmart, and um, Best Buy. Yeah. And so we never sold to those guys. But uh, there was a point in time that came that that 50% um, or more of the car audio systems were sold, being sold by big box stores. This is really before the days of the Internet yeah. more. And at that point in time, we made a choice to go into one mm -hmm. and uh, Circuit, Circuit City. We began kind of courting them. And uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 not easy, uh, and uh, none of them are easy to get into. And yeah. and basically, they don't want to pioneer anything. You've already got to mm -hmm. be there, so you've kind of gotten there on the shoulders of the small guys, and then the big guys want to just take it and go. Yeah. Well, it makes sense, but how do you keep it equitable? So we spent a lot of time um, trying to develop programs and things that would make that equitable and also protect the pricing so that they wouldn't undercut the other guys. Yeah. And I think we were reasonably successful in that. 
and still are, but we've always been cognizant of trying to protect the margin and protect the people that mm -hmm. brought us to the dance and also of everybody that we do business with. Yeah. And um, of course, with the internet, that became infinitely more difficult. But we have people full-time monitoring pricing on the internet now. Yeah. And so we monitor that really well. So we've been able to sell somewhat multi-channel, uh, they call it omni-channel, mm -hmm. which is pretty much what everybody does these days. And uh, But you've got to control the pricing yeah. so that the big guys don't undercut the little guys and put them out of business. And uh, the courting those people is long-term, especially automakers, yeah. long-term. You may get, they may just give you a little bit of business of an accessory item or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So you got to do really good with that, get to know people, and then of course about every three or four years they change buyers. So you got to start all over again. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but we've been fortunate, I think, over the years. But we've been we've been courting automakers for 15 years. Yeah. And and we have some good business going with with a good number of them right now. Mm -hmm. um, it's not as big as our rest of our market, but but it's stable business and. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, getting into uh, Best Buy was um, was a big challenge for us. Mm -hmm. And we did some very big events in Las Vegas at the SEMA show, and we had a thing we called the Big Air Bash, which was a big outdoor party uh, that was free uh, at one night of the SEMA show, which is the biggest yeah. car show in the U.S. Yeah. And, uh, and we brought them to that. And, and to a suite in the Palms and overlooking the whole thing. And uh, I think they, that was one of the things they said, I remember one of them said to the other one, we need to do be, being doing business with these guys because basically we had our marketing act together. We were very visible in the marketplace mm -hmm. and that's what they're looking for. Yeah. Somebody that's kind of already there. They don't want to recognition. The, yeah, yeah, they don't want to pioneer anything. Yeah, it's got to be a sure thing, or else they know they're going to get fired. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I I know a guy who used to work at Ford. He was a marketing guy at Ford. Um, yeah. I play a lot of golf with him, and he uh, he had some great stories about you know before social media back in the day. Yeah, just like how everything worked out. And he was in Europe. Um, at the time as well and, and he lives in Arizona now but yeah he had some you know just I'm sure the business has evolved so much right but you're right to that point you have to be a sure thing because the brand recognition someone's going to see the kicker name and think I want to kick a system in my car yes. and if it comes as standard or if it comes as an option then they want them to sell and upgrade and sell those options and you've got to kind of be there already yeah. for them to want you you know yeah, they're not the big companies are not pioneers mm -hmm. in that aspect yeah you know, they want something that's already recognized, and then they'll take it and add it to what mm -hmm. they've got. And yeah. you know, uh, I guess to that point, then, do you, are you kind of like a big kind of car fan, automotive fan? Have you always kind of had a love of kind of just like not just the systems in them, but just cars in general? Yeah, yeah, I, I am. I mean, I'm not n nearly as deep into it as a lot of people are, but I've always been a car guy, and uh, just engines and bikes and motorcycles and yeah. growing up I had go-karts and and we built everything yeah so yeah I've always loved that stuff I remodeled or remodeled <laughs> refurbished my very first car totally rebuilt it before I ever, ever even drove it yeah 
that was enough, though, for me. After that, I decided if I do this again, I'm going to have someone else do it. Right. And I've kind of gone that way with a lot of things, but I think that's part of uh, being an entrepreneur that grows the business. You don't do everything yourself, but maybe you've done it before. Mm-hmm. But then you've done it, but you're not that's not where you're stopping yeah. so you find other people that like to do that and then you you kind of yeah. you know build on that and so it's part of like putting together a good team but having some hands-on experience with a lot of these different things mm-hmm. makes a huge difference because when you're managing somebody you kind of know you've done that before too yeah and so it's not like i think you get a little more respect for that mm-hmm. plus you have more um you know just intimate knowledge of yeah. what they're going through as well. So, so the business obviously has evolved over time, you know. But you know, you mentioned side by side earlier some home yeah. systems as well. Uh, I guess it probably gets really exciting when you get to the development phase and the new phase, right? You think I mean, right. side by sides have taken off, right? In the last yeah. kind of ten years or five to ten years, right. and and that's a whole thing now. And yeah. I have a friend who who um, has a company, a recent company, because he was in the. Um, he did laser shows for big, big uh, mm-hmm. concerts and stuff. Yeah. Well, last year his business was shut down yeah. because no one was having concerts. So he right. always no... had you know side by sides as a yeah. hobby, and now he has a shop building side by sides, and and he installs you know your systems into people's people's side by sides at his yeah. house. So how has it been? I guess you know because like I said, you you're getting you know you've been in the business so long now, and and you know how everything works. But there's got to be a thing that makes you come to work every day, right? Little new niches yeah. and, and exciting things that pops up so I guess how has that been and, and you know what, what keeps you excited to come to work every day I guess yeah. well and uh, I need <clears throat> I'm always because I'm always looking for something exciting <laughs> I guess you know and uh, one of the things that's <clears throat> really changed the landscape is is social media mm-hmm. and so <clears throat> you can get on social media and see what's going on in the side-by-side world, the car audio world, yeah. whatever you want. And you can come at it from any different angle, from Pinterest to Facebook to groups to mm-hmm. clubs to, <clears throat> it's all there on your phone. And so um, a lot of the things that I do is, and also, of course, we're heavily involved in that too, is I like to stay in touch with the, the customer. Mm-hmm. And it's on social media, it's much easier than just going out and talking to people, which we do that. Yeah. And we did a lot of that before uh, COVID. And we were mm-hmm. traveling, you know, visiting dealers, yeah. uh, multiple dealers every year, uh, our general manager and I. But uh, I read all the comments, you know, what they say about our products and, and also yeah. about other people's products as much as I have time for. Because uh, be I interesting, like, right? I like to hear what they have to say. Yeah. And... They just may be haters, you know, and they're just griping about something. But on the other hand, there may be a grain of truth in there. And so I try not to, uh, you know, just get offended and stuff. I try to see what is there? What are they really saying? Is there something we can do better? Yeah. You know, and so uh, or are there new things happening? And uh well, it's real research, isn't it? And, you know, it's, it's, and it's, people are extremely honest on social media because they're not worried uh, about people sometimes seeing Sometimes overly so. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, but, you know, it does make... I love it because it makes research really easy. Yeah. And, like, 
when I first started the business, if I wanted to find out, and the web, just the web in general, mm -hmm. you know, if I if I wanted to find out something about speakers when I started off, which I was dying to do, yeah. I went to the OSU library and I checked out. I got every book on speakers, and there was a, a handful. That was it, if that many. Yeah. And I went through every magazine article there, and I copied every article on speakers, mm -hmm. popular mechanics and, you know, popular science and all these things. And, you know, there were guys that would write an article every once in a while on yeah, yeah, yeah. how to build a base reflex enclosure. And so I was trying to figure this all out. And uh, now it's like anything I want to know. Um, it's it maybe not true, but no. When it comes to like technical things, yeah, yeah, generally, yeah. it's it's, it's good stuff, internet. you know. Yeah. And so, um, uh, it's I like that aspect of it, being able to gain knowledge and understanding. Uh, of course, then you got to figure out what to do with it. Right. But uh, anyway, that's that's changed the landscape a lot. And so, keeping up with things, what's happening, mm -hmm. um, much easier to do now. And uh, I think a lot of times our, our questions are, how far do we want to go down this trail mm -hmm. or this trail? Because there's so many different um, right. things that we could do and things that we have done in the past. Yeah. And uh, so you've got to, right now, frankly, we're limited in how many products we can develop by uh, supply chain and uh, all these things that are jammed up because right. of COVID, yeah. and the factories are overloaded, uh, and primarily our products built in China. Mm -hmm. um, in it started off, we I've always contracted the manufacturing, which is like I said, I've done I do something myself, but then yeah. I figure out if there's someone that can do it better than me, and then I can do use that and then do something else too. Do the install and, and that so, yeah. um, but in the in the 90s it started to happen that the uh, uh, Asians were showing up at the trade shows. Mm -hmm. We could build this for you, and I'm going. That's a third of the cost of what I'm paying. It must not be any good, and so I would just <laughs> yeah. dismiss it. Yeah. And finally, some people said, "Well, we'll send you a sample." I'm like, okay, send me a sample. Yeah. And so we'd start with a little speaker terminal, and then just, okay, this is this is like okay, we could do this. Yeah. And uh, so they gradually won the business, and and so most of it. Most all our business is manufactured in China. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been everywhere from Japan to Taiwan to Korea, but eventually everybody went to China because when China opened up, a lot of the factories in China, they're not Chinese China factories. Yeah. They're Japanese factories in China, mm -hmm. Taiwanese factories in China, Korean factories in China, you name it. Uh, but they're going there because that's where mm -hmm. the manufacturing is best done. Their headquarters may be somewhere else. Yeah. And uh, so, because everybody buys there now, everything's jammed up. And they've got, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 ships sitting in the harbor in L.A. They can't even get into the port to unload. Wow. So us trying to develop a new product right now. Yeah, it's not, it's not the time. It's not the time. So... Um, that's been a real constraint on yeah. uh, in fact we've got a lot of really cool new stuff but we just cannot get it out mm -hmm. but the good thing everyone else I guess is in the same boat right literally so to speak yeah everyone's you know, <laughs> yeah. that was not intentional I promise uh, 
like yeah, it. Yeah, it, no, it is. Yeah. But it's still frustrating for me because I like to develop new stuff. Right. And uh, regardless of whether anybody else can or not, that's sort of the exciting yeah. and fun part why I come to work. And so now I'm like, we <laughs> got these products, <laughs> you know, and yeah. and I'd like to, there's more stuff I'd like to do, yeah. but there's no point in even really hardly starting it. Mm-hmm. And I take it to R&D and we're talking to them going, yeah, right, you know. Yeah. Not, we can't even get what we started last year. Yeah. We can't even get the final samples to try to get yeah. that completed and even get it into production. And so it's just another challenge. You know, sure. as in business, there's always there's always a challenge. But the, the good part is that COVID has actually been very, very good to our company. Yeah. Uh, because we have something people can do at home. They can install a car stereo at home. Gotcha. It's a hobby. It's fun. You can do it by yourself. You don't have to go to... Yeah. Music concerts to enjoy it, and uh, and so we've had just a huge boom in our whole industry mm-hmm. uh, because of this being at home, wanting something to do, and also having a stimulus check, or maybe collecting unemployment, mm-hmm. or be, and then being home with nothing to do. Yeah. Um, if anybody's been into car audio, they're probably getting back into it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And it's so. Interesting times. Yeah, no doubt. That's that's good to hear. Uh, so earlier you mentioned obviously Seam is a huge show, and you know, and, and on my way up here is hilarious. I passed a giant uh, kicker semi trailer going yeah. that way. Did that leave here this morning and head down? It looked like a, a car hauler. It was huge. Yes. Um, which I thought that was funny. Evidently it did. Yeah. I can't keep track of where no, it I, was. I mean, I, I, but just, yeah, that was in the back just the other day. Yeah, so. I saw that leaving here you know, on the way on the way up I-35. I was like, oh, that's that's kind of fitting that yeah. I passed that today. Well, um, I'm trying to think. I think there's a show that we're going to. Yeah. We normally have that out and show vehicles and stuff all summer long mm-hmm. traveling to different shows because we like to do the in-person stuff right. and uh, and rub shoulders with people or elbows these yeah, days. Elbows you know? these days yeah. and, uh, but now we're able to get back to some of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, interestingly enough, what we've done, I know I'm going down a few rabbit trails, but COVID has changed everything. And so what we decided to do, we also do CES, which is the Consumer Electronics okay. Show in January, uh-huh. just as big as SEMA, yeah. but it's all Tech electronics mm-hmm. yeah. rather than cars. But cars have electronics too. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so SEMA was online virtually only last year. And we said, I think we can do our own online show. Yeah. And because we'll be one of thousands of exhibitors right. how can we show our stuff yeah and so we took our big conference room in the back which is big it'll see 300 people mm-hmm. cleared it out brought in our show vehicles our booth displays everything yeah. and we bought a bunch of cameras and video equipment because we weren't going to vegas we still only spent, well yeah you had all that money that you could spend now we right? only spent a third as yeah, much yeah even doing all that that we do taking everybody to vegas we right. have 60 people we take to vegas for a week and set up a big booth and yeah and we did and we learned we taught ourselves and we learned to do video mm-hmm. and we did our complete ces show three days online that's awesome first one was for our reps second day for dealers only third day for the general public mm-hmm. which the general public never gets to go to CES because right. it's the dealer only show yeah and we showed them all our new stuff and went through each product 
and it was like super effective. And we went on for five hours, and we didn't. We lost very few people in yeah, five hours. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, and we were giving away stuff too, and so we made it kind of fun. But now we're doing a weekly show, that's that's about an hour and a half long. Yeah, and uh, so we've gotten into this video thing of showing our products and introducing new products on mm-hmm. video. We're probably not. We're not going back to CES. It yeah, had slowed yeah, way down for us anyway. Yeah, it's too expensive. Most of our competitors were out already, uh-huh. but SEMA is growing and it's a good yeah. show. So we'll do that live, but we'll also do it online. Of course, yeah. And then we'll do CES, uh, or at yeah. the first of the year we'll do a, a show online. And so that's something that's changed greatly. And like I said, I am not an expert in that. I'm not an online yeah. TV personality, but we've got a couple of guys, and one in particular that is great at that. Mm-hmm. He's a natural, and he knows the product deep. He can yeah, go yeah. deep, and he's not just a—he's not even pretty face. He's—he's <laughs> he's a, no, he's a, he's a good-looking guy, but he's—he's—he's yeah. he's, he's got the personality right, yeah. and the knowledge, and so he's hosting that show, and we're That's bringing awesome. on other personalities in the car audio industry uh-huh. and interviewing them and talking yeah. about it. So it's not just about kicker, but, uh, so this is a whole new deal for us right. this, this year. And, um, so, uh, but I have virtually nothing to do with it other than saying, go yeah, for it. It's a, go for it. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. And I mean, to that point, right. You know, uh, Geneva is Geneva motor show was canceled and, and there's big, you know, like Ferrari and all these people are saying no we're not going to go back right because and you have like I said you have all this available money that you would spend on a booth yes. there to now put into this online stuff which more people can see and you get more reach out of it which now it makes total sense yeah. uh, do you guys have much I guess stuff in I guess the YouTube kind of side of things you know because there's plenty of obviously automotive YouTube pages yes. are, are a huge huge draw as well well this is a and we're doing this show on YouTube mm-hmm. previously we had not had that much yeah and we keep saying we need to get into it more. We need to get into, you know, our YouTube channel more. Yeah. I mean, we were into Facebook, Instagram posting, and mm-hmm. and all that stuff, and Twitter, and but um, and and we have a dedicated social media guy, and mm-hmm. and and we have now we have camera people too, but uh, we hadn't really done the YouTube thing. We had a YouTube channel. Yeah. But now <clears throat> we've got this show every week. 7.30, from 7.30 to 9-ish. Yeah. Sometimes it goes later. And uh, we've got a steady audience. We have, like, on the average of maybe three to 400 comments during the show. Yeah. Because guys are getting on the Asking show. Questions, hey, what's happening? Yeah. Hey, so you're here, you know. Yeah. So it's this kind of community thing. And then they're asking questions, and we answer questions, and we have... Some other YouTube personalities come on. It's all virtual right now. Yeah. When we get back to traveling, we'd like to actually have them here and do more right. stuff than just sitting there. But um, anyway, it's uh, so it's opened up a whole new world. Yeah. We still think face-to-face is of course. tremendously important, and we will continue to do that as we can. But this will just be a supplement to that. Yeah. But we're going to cut back some on like 
CES trade right. show. Well, I guess you know when you have your own show, you can control what you what you put out. You know, it's it's totally, totally directed to the and you know to the customer, and you dive into yeah. the comments and you start engaging with them. Right? right, you ask them, hey, what do you want to see next week? What questions do you have? You you know, it's it's easy to host a Q and A show from last week's it's questions. Exactly what you know, doing. and you get buy in and yeah. and it builds customer value, doesn't it? Right. And, you know, and you know you give them a shout out. Hey, <clears> this questions from John in in you know in normal or wherever it is you know it's, absolutely it's really cool to do that and and you know it's i'm a big proponent of it. i love it you know i wouldn't have a podcast without it social yeah. media has been great for the for the podcast and, and some of the other businesses that i'm in and you know i i do a podcast you know two or three episodes a week and and some right. of them are over zoom and, and one of the ones recently we had is a lady in tulsa and she's like i did 98 percent of my business through facebook last year yeah you know and that that business like provides for your family and you know, it's I it's, love it it's, it's a whole it's a whole nother world yeah you know and it's just being kind of broken open mm -hmm. I mean for a lot of us I think but um, yeah the questions and um, and the interaction and what we're doing is not a big long infomercial mm -hmm. I mean it's it's information yeah in general too and uh, so we you know we obviously have our products on there and occasionally we talk about them or if we introduce something mm -hmm. we do. <clears throat> but a good part of the show is just about car audio yeah. in general and experiences people have had and cars they built and, yeah. and things like that. So uh, um, so we're getting a good viewership and they do, they're doing some crazy stuff like, um, well, the guys that produce the show, they it's at 7.30 so they order in food yeah. or go get food before the show. So when they're starting the show, they're just saying, tell them what they had to eat before, just before they get on there. Well, you know, Ernie, he had a double hamburger, and <laughs> I had, you know, blah, yeah. blah. But you and, make it personal um, by doing Yeah, that, so they're that, just kind of joking around, and yeah. so guys are writing in, well, I'd like a pizza and stuff. So, <clears throat> so what they did, they did a pizza giveaway. And so, you know, these guys enter in the contest, and then the winner... For the next show, yeah. we we had a Domino's pizza delivered to the guy's house. Yeah. Turns out he's in Tulsa, and then he gets on uh, Zoom on the thing, and he's eating pizza with his wife and his little daughter as they're watching the show, yeah. eating the Domino's pizza. And just, uh, we don't dwell on it, but just kind of fun stuff. Of course it is. A way to build raving fans, and, isn't it, that competition's probably not doing, right? It's yeah. simple, and that pizza people, didn't cost you people much. People are they, looking for engagement. Yeah. And something fun, but then we've got we've got the technical stuff as well. But this one guy was always posting about his bearded dragon, <clears throat> which is a, a bearded dragon. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, uh, what are those lizards? Liz, I think yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm lizards. Terrible, but yeah, I so, would assume it was a lizard. So anyway, yeah. he's always saying, and about my bearded dragon, or yeah. you know, he always throws something in. So, so what they did. For last week, Sandy, one of the ladies that works on it occasionally behind the scenes, so she took and made a little tiny T-shirt that says "Kicker Unmasked." That's the name of our show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that would fit a bearded dragon. That's brilliant. And uh, gonna send it to him. Yeah. And so That's now so the cool. advertisement for the next show shows a bearded dragon. It's just, you know they put it together. But yeah, yeah, with yeah. With this little kicker T-shirt on oh, his back. Oh, that's so good. And so, uh, you know, just. Silly kind of fun yeah. stuff uh -huh. mixed in with the serious stuff. Yeah. And um, so people tune in and they like it. And I don't know where it'll go, but I mean, this is where we're at right now with it. Yeah. But um, people people like to engage 
Plus, that they've been stuck at home, you know. They're wanting well, and they also like to be seen as well, right? Recognized. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And mm -hmm. people just click on, say, so-and-so in-house, yeah. you know. And so it's just, it's a kind of a community thing. And, and uh, you know, um, I would have never guessed we were doing anything like that. Right. Yeah, when, so, you, when, you, when, you, when you look back at... You know, just saying to you know, Dad, hey, can I have this three hundred dollar, you know, thing? And he's <laughs> yeah, just you don't like, know where it's going to go, right? No, but can we build it? Maybe, yeah. uh, you know. And it's you know, and you, and you come here, right? And, and you go from through seventies, through eighties, and that huge boom in the eighties, ride the yeah. wave. You get in the nineties, and, and the internet comes out, plateaus a little bit, and then you just you know, you you just it evolves, right? There's so many stories over the years that you've yeah. been in business and, and now to right. this point, right? You'd never thought you'd have a YouTube show, yeah. you know, and sending t-shirts for a bearded dragon to people, <laughs> right? I mean, it's amazing how how the stories come and how the business evolves and, right. and you know, I'm sure you're extremely grateful for every opportunity you've had and, and I mean, oh, yeah. for your wife for giving you the opportunity working and, yeah. you know, it's, it's just... It's an awesome Absolutely. story. Um, I really appreciate you sharing. It means a lot uh, and I hope everyone listening appreciates it as well. Um, I want to be you know, respectful of your time. I know we're getting a little long-winded and people are probably done walking their dogs right now or driving in their car. Um, but I want to thank you so much you for coming on the podcast. You can edit it down to oh, I'm not going to edit 15 it. 15 minutes, right? Okay. Um, but yeah, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast uh, and, and thank everyone you know, for listening and tuning in. Uh, and I'll put, you know, obviously the link to, um, to the website if they haven't already been there and, and the YouTube show in the description, but Steve, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate you it. Um, amazing facility up here in Stillwater. If you guys want to come up and see it and just look around, you know, the, the store is here as well, right? You can mm -hmm. buy some merch and, and, um, and check it out. But for everyone listening, uh, we will catch you next episode. Cheers. Awesome. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at Oklahoma HOF. Also, huge shout out to RCB Bank for jumping on board to be a sponsor. RCB Bank's loan promotion is here for a limited time. Head into any of their 40 Oklahoma locations to get as low as 1.79 APR on your next car, boat, camper, or ATV. Apply online at rcbbank.com. RCB Bank, that's my bank. Rate and finance with approved credit. Restrictions apply and member SDIC. Huge shout out to my sponsors. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll catch you next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.